Hey everyone, and welcome to New Way, the podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. If you've been listening alongside us in the first several episodes of 2021, you already know that we are dedicating our current season of New Way to life in the wilderness. Annie Dillard once said, Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. For those who never go to the desert, the worship has to take us to the desert. What do we have in your faith, in your tradition, in the ways you grew up that will help you sustain yourself during this time? Jesus said he came to set us free. This freedom, it is not carelessness. It's not whatever. No, it is the opposite. Because I know I'm free, I'm way more bound to my people than before. Before I was with them because I was afraid. Now I am with them because I'm free. For some of us here in the Northern Hemisphere, signs of spring are finally beginning to emerge. This is one of those transitional moments in the life of the world where we feel more a part of everything. As Bill Brown shared in last week's episode on the book of Job, there is freedom and liberation in finding the wildest places within ourselves. This week, we're going to explore that further in part one of my conversation with theologian and pastor Claudio Carvalhes. He's the brilliant liturgical artist and professor at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. He is so full of life and creativity and love for the world, and being around him is profoundly transformative. Our conversation today includes an examination of the way the desert maximizes our own current life predicaments, and how the spaces in the world that might feel to us like traps could be doorways into our true selves. Let's jump right in. Oh, Claudio, thank you so much for being here today. I'm super excited about our conversation together. I'm so glad for the invitation, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really, really grateful. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You started in the church because I remember the story you told many years ago about your childhood and actually waking your mother up very, very early in the morning trying to get her to take you to church. That's right. That's right. I I did. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we've got dogs and children okay. here. This is just the reality. She was just quiet. <laughs> I'm going to put her upstairs and I lock her under seven okay. doors and then she's not going to make any door. Here's how I work every day with 100,000 interruptions. I know. This is... Her- every day. Sorry. This is life in COVID. And quarantine, you know, we're all together, which is really what's always been true. We've just pretended like we're not all in the same world. That's right. Um, Tell us about little Claudio. That's uh, a member that actually my mother tells me that on Sunday mornings, I I used to wake up very early in the morning, 5 or 6 a.m. on Sundays, because and would knock at her door and say, Mom, it's time to uh, church. And my mom would turn and say... No, son, it's not. Just go back to bed. <laughs> and I don't know, 15 minutes later, I would come back and knock at the door and say, Mom, you're going to get late to church. And she would go, Son, it is 6 o'clock. We still have almost four hours. Just go to bed. 
And I would go like every 15 minutes or increasing to 10 minutes and five minutes to a point where a certain time she would just say, okay, get dressed and go. <laughs> By yourself. Just get <laughs> out of the house. That, that's just right. leave. Yes. Yeah, let's go. And then because it was a, a safe place to walk, mm. she would let me go and I would go and I would run because I thought I would be late and I would get there. And of course, nobody's there. <laughs> And I would just sit on the steps of the church and wait for the pastor to arrive. And I would wait, I don't know, two, three hours until the pastor would arrive because I wanted to be there so much. I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to um, be a part of everything. So that's how church was always for me. This eagerness, this excitement, this desire to be because it was my family who I would play, I would sing, I would do art, I would run, I would see my friends. And so everything was there for me. Mm. God, I love that story so much. And <laughs> I love it in connection with who you are as a leader in the church. Because <laughs> to me, you have always thought about worship and liturgy and taught it and embodied <laughs> it in a way that ruptures <laughs> our tidy conceptions <laughs> about what it means to worship and mm. what sort of happens in worship and what is not worship. Right. To me, you have brought these worlds together and allowed people, as you said, to play mm. and to be a family and right. to experiment. Right, right. Did you get that from your church? I did. I We always go back to... Um or playgrounds, right? And hmm. so the church was my playground. And more than that, the church, it's like in the words of St. Augustine, that the church has this, for me, there's this deep sense of being a mother, mm. of caring, of providing, of being with me. And uh, when I was born, uh, the church gave me uh, the food hmm. that my family uh, needed to feed me. My, my first toy, which I still have, came from the church. And so for me, I think worship is fundamentally because it's the place of the gathering, of being together. And being together was was the most important thing, right? And so there's a sense of community, right? And sense of a village mm -hmm. that I was taken care of mm -hmm. and I was provided. There were camps that I couldn't pay, you know, youth camps that somebody from the church would come and pay for me. All of the courses that I did was pay for the church. I started to study in the evening when I was 13. I went to seventh grade in the evening and started working all day. And so that was my life mm. from that until I finished my study. So I did my theological studies also in the evening. And what was your job during the day, Claudio? When I was eight, I was a shoe shining boy. Mm -hmm. So after school or before school, because sometimes I would study in the afternoon or that's before the full time job. But after uh, when I was 13, I went to be an office boy in a company. And so I, I kept going from one job to another and studying in the evening. But uh, when I was uh, doing my theological studies, there was one year that I couldn't pay. And my presbytery said that they couldn't pay anymore. So I was about to quit. And I remember vividly this precious elder. Uh, his name is Lauro Ferreira. He died. But I remember arriving. I was 20, 21. I arriving at the worship in the evening. And Lauro said to me, why did you uh, stop going to the seminary? Hmm. And I said, how do you know? I said, why did you stop? It was very like serious and 
he didn't like to talk much. Why did you leave? And I said, well, it's because I, I couldn't pay. And he said, tomorrow you start your studies again. Hmm. I said, but Lauro, I cannot go. I said, go tomorrow and start your studies. I said, no, I'm sorry. I just told you to go. And so I said, okay. So I went. <laughs> and next day I'm there on, and I went to the hmm. registrar and Miss um, Neuza. And I said, Miss Neuza, can I study? And she said, yeah, your year is paid oh and you God. have money for books. And I said, so see, everything was the church. And so the worship then for me is way more than just what order of worship we are doing this, mm -hmm. right? It is more, it is about caring, providing, mending for each other. So that's why I, I, I often tell this story that worship is a place that we go to worship, but we cannot live with until everybody has everything they need, mm. food, health, house, joy, everything provided. And so for me, church has this sense of a community. Without that small community, I wouldn't be able to make it. Yeah. So that's why for me, it's uh, it, worship is, is much more expensive. It has to do with a way of living in the world. Yeah. Right? It's a way of assuming our way into the world. Our commitments are there. Our hearts are there. So there's everything there that organizes us in the world. Mm. In your next book that comes out in a month or so, Praying with Every Heart, you dedicate the book to your mother, Esther, <laughs> who sent you off to church in the morning. <laughs> she could get a little peace and quiet, probably. Um, you say in this dedication to my mother, Esther, who knows prayer more than I ever will, who has prayed for me my entire life and whose life is a beautiful and powerful prayer. I wondered if you would tell us more about what you mean by that. Yeah, this is very moving to me just to talk about that because my mother was the one who read the first stories to me when they couldn't read. And, and, and she prays for me until now. So she's 90, she's turning 90 uh, now. And I there's a sense in which I know I am okay in the world because she's there praying for me. I don't know what's going to happen when she dies because that, <laughs> that's the shield, that protection mm -hmm. over mm. me. It's, I don't know where it's going to go. I'll have to find it myself because I will have to become this shield for my children. Yes. But she taught me how to pray. My, my mother is a woman of prayer. And every morning, as I say in the introduction, and she would not let me out of the house without preparing me my coffee, my bread and butter and prayer. And there was this morning uh, ritual that we had to, uh, she always read the upper room, hmm. the devotional. Yeah. So we had to read the upper room, had to read the Bible and had to pray. And so we, I could not leave the house without praying, right? I could not. And if I was late, she didn't care. And I said, Mom, I'm late today. I cannot pray. That's when she would go to very slow prayer and say, <laughs> God of love, thank you for today. And I'm having a panic attack after she prayed. I said, okay, I managed it. Now you pray. <laughs> But what it did to me, again, I felt that I was protected. Yeah. I was sealed. I was blessed. I was prepared. I could go on. Whatever the day would have for me, I would take it because I had my mother praying with me 
and for me. And so that is why prayer is so fundamental uh, 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 to me, because I, without prayer, I would be scared. Mm. <laughs> We're talking about wilderness in this season of the podcast, and I was struck by just this little tiny part of the book of Mark at the beginning where Jesus is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, and there are wild animals and also angels that attend Jesus. And I was thinking about what you said, your mother's prayers for you and angels, and I'm curious if you feel in your own meditations about the desert, about the wild places in the world, if our mm -hmm. prayer changes, if the prayer is something different or oh, is fundamentally the same thing. That's beautiful. No, the prayer changes from where you are. Uh, from where, where, where you're sitting, it changes. It must change. It must be from where you are, from what you see, with whom we are. That's why with every heart, praying with every heart means with every creature, every animal, every worm, every mice, every grass, every tree, every river, so every... We take the heart to the wilderness to be with the wilderness, not against the wilderness. But that process, Sarah, it's so hard, right? Because the wilderness and the desert are places that we are afraid of most of the time because we cannot control. Mm -hmm. And we have learned about a faith that organizes itself on control. <laughs> And that's why the worship service is so tied up together yes. because we have to control every little piece of it. Yes. Oh, my God. I remember as a newly minted seminarian just thinking that a lightning bolt was going to come down and strike me <laughs> if I inverse the order of some Precisely. aspect of the worship. <laughs> Precisely. Oh, how many times I was called because I said the Lord's Prayer before it was supposed to do, <laughs> or like I didn't say the right words, or I went over five minutes. Ooh, I would get into the, uh, not in Brazil, because in Brazil, the worship service is whatever time it takes. But here, it's like you have this one hour, right? Don't mess up with this one hour and don't go over it. But it's the funny thing I always, always tell we can only stay for an hour. More than that is disrespect, right? We're disrespecting the people. Oh. But then yeah. after we do that hour, our you know, families go into their favorite restaurant <laughs> and then they get there and so they say party for three, for five, for uh, four, and then they'll say, oh, it's a 45 minutes wait. And you just say, ah, just fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh what God. is it? Why do you say that we can't stand five minutes together, but can be laying on the sun for 45 minutes to get our favorite restaurant? So mm -hmm. I think there's something wrong there. Yes. Right? And, and we wonder why it's so stilted and boring. And it's like, well, you only gave us an hour. Yes. There's <laughs> what you can actually do during that time. Precisely. So where's the, the, the movement of the Holy Spirit? And mm -hmm. I'm going to get back to your yeah. question through that. It is the movement of the Spirit. The Spirit is free. It's free. It's free to stay in the form, but it's free to get out of the form. But in this controlling thing, we are actually controlling the coming of the Holy Spirit because if it comes, what do we do? What do we do? It gets off. We are not trained. How do we control the wind? Can we stop the wind? 
just go inside of a house and shelter ourselves, right? Sometimes our faith, instead of helping us with our fears, all kinds of fears, because we grow up with fears since we are children. And I, I think the church should be this place. Like I, I have my, my son, Ike, he's afraid in the night. So I know that at night I, I lay down with him because I know it is a place where he's processing his fear and his trust in himself. So I tell him, you have a warrior inside of you. Mm. And I pray for the angels to cover the room. And he has God within himself. And so with that, there's a process of moving away from the fear of the monsters that are laid under the bed and inside of the closet and outside of the window and until he finds this trust. So for me, it took me a long time to deal with this fear. So for me, the wilderness was always a scary place. It still is. Mm -hmm. Still is when I go for a walk, I am afraid if I don't, because I'm terrible with directions. And so I'm afraid of getting lost. Mm -hmm. And if I get lost, what will happen to me? So I think the wilderness is a call to getting lost, hmm. to lose our bearings, to lose the things that we usually have to sustain us. Hmm. That's why we have to pray with the place, because then we have to see what is in this place that I can be with, that I can relate with, yeah. that I expand my heart with. Yeah. And so the desert is frightening because it usually is an echo box from what we have inside. So if we have peace and we go to the desert, Oh, the earth is a peaceful thing because it amplifies the peace and we love to be there and everything is like heaven. But if we are anxious people or we are in an anxious time, the desert will be a nightmare because it will make us anxious in 10 times more. The whole thing will be a threat. It will be an enemy and something that is about to swallow us alive. So the desert is to learn how is it that to control with ourselves within the Spirit of God to be there without fear. So what have we had to learn during this COVID? A basic thing, to control ourselves, hmm. to calm ourselves, to tell ourselves time and again, I'm okay, I'm fine, I have love, I have warmth, I have food. And then start to look for help. Look, my, my dog helped me too because my dog is not anxious because she wants to run or to travel or to go to rest. She, her full life is here and she's happy. Yeah. That's what I need to learn. So in mm -hmm. that way, going to the desert is to see that what sounds like a threat mm. can be actually our home. Mm can be actually a place that we arrive and we say, I'm fully here. That's why uh, uh, spirituality is helpful because it helps you to process these things mm -hmm. and to get inside of ourselves and yeah. find sources within that we can sustain ourselves in those places until the, what is threatening can become a home. Oh, so beautiful. I think about 
the times in which I've been physically in the desert and how at first glance it seems so stark, devoid of provision, that there is, as you said, this magnifying of the wildness. The plants are sharp, you know, and thin and brittle, and the animals have poison in their glands, and (laughs) the sun is either so hot and the night is so cold. All of these strange aspects to the desert to me are the opposite of what we think of in this time of worship that we craft, and as you said, we control, and many of us have this pressure that if it's not good enough, you know, elder so-and-so at the back of the church is going to be tapping on mm. his watch and like mm. pointing to Precisely. the hours. Like, this is your grade here, whether or not I'm going to stay another couple of minutes. <laughs> but when I go to the desert too, and I wrestle, there have been times, as you said, you just recall from me, times of joy, times of rest, times of gratitude, and times of wrestling with my own demons. Mm-hmm. And each time I've left with this sense of aliveness you return from the desert and you want more of the realness of that experience. And it feels strange to go back into our cultivated rhythms of life in the 21st century in the world today, especially in America, where the rest of it feels fake. And I wonder how that spirit of the desert and what you said, how you think about liturgy, how you think about that moment of worship for people, knowing the truth of the desert. Right. Oh, this is powerful. Yes. I think some of our liturgies to help us to get through that should go out. We should go out. We should do our worship services in the woods. We should do our worship services near the rivers. Mm. Like people in New Mexico to do the worship in the desert. I mean, there's something about the desert that it is not much of a tradition for city people, right? We just go like once in a while, if we go. But if you look at Jesus, he went back to the desert time and again, time and again. Why? Because we get lost into the dizziness of our daily lives. We lose our heart. We lose our soul. We lose. It's so easy to start to get anxious and frustrated and angry. And then we start to see that our predicament is the whole. And that's when we start to lose (laughs) the perspective of the breath of life that God has given to us. And I think in some ways, the worship is this tuning back of our souls. It is this going back to what we have forgotten. Aristotle used to say we are forgotten beings. So why do we go to church? To be remembered that we are loved. Hmm. To be remembered that we are peace, we are kindness, and we are responsible for one another. It is to refresh ourselves and attune us to the heart of our beings where God is with the deep within but people in our church some people are in the midst of the desert because life threw them into the desert Mm -hmm. so we have to attend to them we have to pay attention to them and that's what we do we bring water we surround we sing we offer healing we stand by, we hold the hand. And for those who never go to the desert, the worship has to take us to the desert Mm -hmm. to say, what now? What do we do with this? So 
what do we have in your faith, in your tradition, in the ways you grew up that will help you sustain yourself during this time? And with that, we have to add other resources, other places, other wisdoms, other forms of being so that we can expand ourselves. Right. And so that's why it, I think it has to do with what Jesus said. He came to set us free. Mm-hmm. Set us free means I'm free to believe in God or not. I'm free to be Presbyterian or not. I'm free. I'm free. And so with this freedom, it is not carelessness. This yeah. kind of freedom yeah. is not whatever. Yeah. No, it is the opposite. Because I know I'm free, I'm way more bound to my people than before. Before I was with them because I was afraid. Now I am with them because I'm free. <laughs> And now it is my choice. It is my choice to be with them because I will be free with them. Mm. I'm stunned by your words. And transported by them. Friends, we will be back next week with the second part of my conversation with Claudio. This time, an examination of the ways that we compartmentalize our lives and the distances we forge between others, including the vast multitude of beings that are not human, but are still God's creatures. We also discuss praying with worms. You heard that right. Join us next week. Between now and then, you can check out Claudio's unique book, Liturgies from Below. Prayers from People at the Ends of the World, which is a book done in four continents with more than 100 people collaborating. And keep an eye out for his new book coming out this month, Praying with Every Heart. Thank you for listening to New Way, podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Be sure to click subscribe wherever you found this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Our growing community streams from Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher and online at newchurchnewway.org. Our producer is the fabulous Marthame Sanders. You can see stories and photos from the humans who make up this movement on Instagram at 1001NWCPCUSA. Catch you next time.